TED Audio Collective. You're listening to a special archive presentation of TED Talks Daily. This talk features doctor and author Julia Enders, recorded live at TEDx Danubia 2017. Support comes from Zuckerman Spader. Through nearly five decades of taking on high-stakes legal matters, Zuckerman Spader is recognized nationally as a premier litigation and investigations firm. Their lawyers routinely represent individuals, organizations, and law firms in business disputes, government, and internal investigations, and at trial, when the lawyer you choose matters most. Online at Zuckerman.com. Support for TED Talks Daily comes from Capital One Bank. With no fees or minimums, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than deciding to listen to another episode of your favorite podcast. And with no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank. Capital One N.A. Member FDIC. Uh, a few years ago, I always had this thing happening to me, especially at family gatherings, like teas with aunts and uncles or something like this. When people come up to you and they ask you, so what are you doing? And I would have this magical one word to reply, which would make everybody happy. Medicine. I'm going to be a doctor. Very easy. That's it. Everybody's happy and pleased. And it could be so easy, but this effect really only lasts for 30 seconds with me, because that's then the time when one of them would ask, so in what, what area of medicine, what specialty do you want to go into? And then I would have to strip down in all honesty and just say, okay, so I'm fascinated with the colon, it all started with the anus, and now it's basically the whole intestinal tract. <laughs> And this would be the moment when the enthusiasm trickles and it would maybe also get like awkwardly silent in the room. And I would think this was terribly sad because I do believe our bowels are quite charming. <laughs> and while we're in a time where many people are thinking about what new superfood smoothie to make or if gluten is maybe bad for them, actually hardly anyone seems to care about the organ where this happens, the concrete anatomy and the mechanisms behind it. And sometimes it seems to me like we're all trying to figure out this magic trick, but nobody's checking out the magician just because he is like an embarrassing hairstyle or something. And it actually, there are reasons science disliked the gut for a long time. I have to say this. So it's complex. There's a lot of surface area, about 40 times the area of our skin. Then in such a tight pipe, there are so many immune cells that are being trained there. We have 100 trillions of bacteria doing all sorts of things, producing little molecules. Then there's about 20 different hormones, so we are on a very different level than our genitals, for example. And the nervous system of our gut is so complex that when we cut out a piece, it's independent enough that when we poke it, it mumbles back at us friendly. <laughs> but at least those reasons are also the reasons why it's so fascinating and important. And it took me three steps to love the gut. So today I invite you to follow me on those three steps. And the very first was 
just looking at it and asking questions like, how does it work? And why maybe does it have to look so weird for that sometimes? And it actually wasn't me asking the first kind of these questions, but my roommate. So after one heavy night of partying, he came into our um, shared room kitchen and he said, Julia, you study medicine. How does pooping work? <laughs> and I did study medicine, but I had no idea. So I had to go up to my room and look it up in different books. And um, I found something interesting, I thought, at that time. So it turns out we don't only have this outer sphincter, we also have an inner sphincter muscle. The outer sphincter we all know, we can control it, we know what's going on there. The inner one we really don't. So what happens is when there are leftovers from digestion, they're being delivered to the inner one first. So this inner one will open in a reflex and let through a little bit for testing. <laughs> so there are sensory cells that will analyze what has been delivered. Is it gaseous or is it solid? And they will then send this information up to our brain. And this is the moment when our brain knows, oh, I have to go to the toilet. <laughs> the brain will then do what it's designed to do with its amazing consciousness. It will mediate with our surroundings. And it will say something like, so I checked. We are at this TEDx conference. <laughs> Gaseous, maybe, if you're sitting on the sides and you know you can pull it off silently. But solid, maybe later. So since our outer sphincter and the brain is connected with nervous um, cells, they coordinate, cooperate, and they put it back in a waiting line. <laughs> for other times, like for example, when we're at home, sitting on the couch, we have nothing better to do, we are free to go. <laughs> Us humans are actually one of the very few animals that do this in such an advanced and clean way. And to be honest, I had some newfound respect for that nice inner sphincter dude. You know, not connected to nerves that care too much about the outer world all the time, but just caring about me for once. I thought that was nice. And um, I used to not be a great fan of public restrooms, but now I can go anywhere because I consider it more when that inner muscle puts a suggestion on my daily agenda. <laughs> and also I learned something else, which was looking closely at something I might have shied away from, maybe the weirdest part of myself, left me feeling more fearless and also appreciate myself more. And I think this happens a lot of times when you look at the gut, actually. Like this funny rumbling noises that happens when you're in a group of friends or at the office conference table going like... <laughs> this is not because we're hungry. This is because our small intestine is actually a huge neat freak. And it takes the time in between digestion to clean everything up resulting in those eight meters of gut, really seven of them being very clean and hardly smell like anything. It will, to achieve this, create a strong muscular wave that moves everything forward and that's been left over after digestion. This can sometimes create a sound, but doesn't necessarily have to always. So what we're embarrassed of is really a sign of something keeping our insides fine and tidy or this weird cricket shape of our stomach, a bit Quasimodo-ish, 
This actually makes us be able to put pressure on our belly without vomiting, like when we're laughing or when we're doing sports, because the pressure will go up and not so much sideways. This also creates this air bubble that's usually always very good visible in x-rays, for example, and can sometimes with some people, um, when it gets too big, um, create discomfort or even some sensations of pain. But for most of the people, it just results that it's far easier to burp when you're laying on your left side instead of your right. And soon I moved a bit further and started to look at the whole picture of our body and health. And this was actually after I had heard um, someone I knew a little bit had killed himself. And it happened that I had been sitting next to that person the day before, and I had smelled that he had had very bad breath. And when I learned of the suicide the next day, I thought, could the gut have something to do with that? And I frantically started searching if there were scientific papers on the connection of gut and brain. And to my surprise, I found many. And it turns out it's maybe not as simple as we sometimes think. We tend to think our brain makes these commands and then sends them down to the other organs, and then they all have to listen. But really, it's more that 10% of the nerves that connect brain and gut deliver information from the brain to the gut. And we know this, for example, in stressful situations, when there are transmitters from the brain that are being sensed by our gut. So the gut will try to like, um, load, lower all the work and like, um, not be so uh, working and taking away blood and energy to save energy for problem solving. This can go as far as nervous vomiting or nervous diarrhea to get rid of food that it then doesn't want to digest. Maybe more interestingly, 90% of the nervous fibers that connect gut and brain deliver information from our gut to our brain. And when you think about it a little bit, it does make sense because our brain is very isolated. It's in this bony skull surrounded by a thick skin, and it needs information to put together a feeling of how am I as a whole body doing. And the gut actually possibly the most important advisor for the brain because it's our largest sensory organ, collecting information not only on the quality of our nutrients, but really also how are so many of our immune cells doing, um, or things like the hormones in our blood that it can sense. And it can package this information and send up to the brain, and it can there not reach areas like visual cortex or word formations. Otherwise, when we digest, we would, make, we would see funny colors or we would make funny noises. No, but it can reach areas for things like morality, fear, or emotional processing, or areas for self-awareness. So it does make sense that when our body and our brain is putting together this feeling of how am I as a whole body doing, that the gut uh, has something to... Um, contribute to this process. And it also makes sense that people who have conditions like irritable bowel syndrome or inflammatory bowel disease, they have a higher risk of having anxiety or depression. I think this is a good information to share because many people will think, I have this gut thing and maybe I also have this mental health thing. And maybe, because science is not clear on that right now, it's really just that their brain is feeling sympathy with their gut. This has yet to grow in evidence until it can come to practice. But just knowing about these kinds of research that are out there at the moment helped me in my daily life. And it made me think different of my moods and not externalize so much all the time. I feel oftentimes during the day we are a brain and a screen. 
And we will tend to like look for answers right there and maybe the work is stupid or our neighbor. But really moods can also come from within. And just knowing this helped me, for example, when I sometimes wake up too early and I start to worry and wander around with my thoughts, then I think, stop. What did I eat yesterday? Did I stress myself out too much? Did I eat too late or something? And then maybe get up and make myself a tea, something light to digest. And as simple as the sound, I think uh, it's been surprisingly good for me. Step three took me further, away from our body and really understanding bacteria differently. The research we have today is creating a new definition of what real cleanliness is. And it's not, you know, the hygiene hypothesis. I think many maybe know this. So it states that when you have too little microbes in your environment because you clean all the time, that's not really a good thing because people get more allergies or autoimmune disease then. So I knew this hypothesis and I thought I wouldn't learn so much from looking at cleanliness in the gut. But I was wrong. So it turns out real cleanliness is not about killing off bacteria right away. Real cleanliness is a bit different. When we look at the facts, 95% of all bacteria on this planet don't harm us. They can't. They don't have the genes to do so. Many actually help us a lot. And scientists at the moment are looking into things like, do some bacteria help us clean the gut? Do they help us digest? Do they make us put on weight or have a lean figure, although we're eating lots? Um, are others making us feel more courageous or even more resilient to stress? So you see there are more questions when it comes to cleanliness. And actually the thing is, it's about a healthy balance, I think. You can't avoid the bad all the time. This is simply not possible. There's always something bad around. So what really the whole deal is, when you look at a clean gut, it's about having good bacteria, enough of them, and then some bad. Our immune system needs the bad too, so it knows what it's looking out for. So I started having this different perspective on cleanliness. And a few weeks later, I held a talk at my university, and I made a mistake by a thousand. And I went home, and I realized it in that moment. I was like, oh, I made a mistake by a thousand. Oh, God, that's so much, and that's so embarrassing. And I started thinking about this. I was like, Ugh. And after a while, I said, okay, I made this one mistake, but then I also told so many like, good and right and helpful things, so I think it's, it's okay, you know, it's a clean thing. And then I was like, oh, wait, uh, maybe I took my perspective on cleanliness further, and it's my theory at the moment, maybe we all do, take it a bit further than just cleaning our living room, where we, we make it to sort of like a life hygiene, and knowing that this is uh, about fostering the good, just as much as trying to shelter yourself from the bad, had a very calming effect on me. So in that sense, I hope today I told you mostly good and helpful things. And thank you for your time for listening to me. For more TED Talks, go to TED.com. Support for TED Talks Daily comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. 
To learn more, visit odoo.com slash TED Talks. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash TED Talks. Odoo, modern management made simple.